You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free twenty dollar wager with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me here on this Monday evening show is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readinreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will. SEC East champs. Hey man, feels good. Been a few years. Yeah, obvious. Obviously, uh, just the first step in the journey, but you can't That's get right. to the second step until you get to the first. And first time Mullen's been able to do it in his long career now as a head coach. So a uh, benchmark for him. And obviously, he's been there as an offensive coordinator with Florida. But now getting there in his third year as a head coach, and this is not the diluted East that Florida was winning back in 2015 and 2016. I don't know that you'd call it as good of an East as 2006 or 2008, right. but at the same time, it's it's a significant step forward for the program, obviously a building on the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, hey, in this weird season with COVID, Florida's 8-1, and one, and one more game with LSU, and then you're playing for it all, right? I mean, not just for the SEC title, but you're playing for a shot to play for the national title, and, and that's a place Florida hasn't been since back in those late 2000s. So, exciting time to be a Gator fan. Yeah, you can still you can still celebrate being SEC East champs if that's a thing for you, but still realize that, you know, that's not the, not the ultimate goal, not where Florida really wants to be. You can, you can do both things at the same time because it is an accomplishment. And as you said, uh, and I was watching the Gator Rewind, I think they posted it around 8 o'clock, kind of waiting for the podcast to start. You know, you, you can hear Mullen in the locker room talking to the players, talking to the guys. Hey, you know, you win the East, this is the first step. You can't do anything else without winning the East. Uh, you know, you, you don't have the luxury of being Alabama and in the 15 year run that they're on right now and not win your division and, and, and somehow sneak into the playoff and end up beating Georgia in the national championship game. But um, that that uh, you, you don't have that luxury right now. No, well, I mean, you know, like Nick said they, yesterday, they, they don't hang banners. They don't put up signs for SEC champions. In fact, they've tried and they got taken down <laughs> because no one puts up that crap. I'll, I'll, sell though, shirt, right? I'll sell shirts, though. Well, there you go. As long as you're making money off of it, we're all good. But, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's the first step. I think everybody looks at it and says the team can play better. But that's a good thing because you still mm-hmm. had this game 31-7 to with, you know, eight or nine minutes left and then gave up a couple of garbage time touchdowns. So, you know, if you're up 31-7 to most games, you know, if that's what you do against bad teams, hey, that's actually better than the 2006 team. I went after the game. I went back and looked at that 2006 team and, and really um, – you know, 
there were a lot of close games in that one, closer than we've seen this year thus far. And then you look at the 2015 and 2016 teams that were going into the SEC championship game. One is they were both coming off a of losses to Florida State, and then mm-hmm. they hadn't really looked good. I mean, geez, the 2015 team had barely beaten Florida Atlantic and, and you know, those sorts of things. So that's not the way we are this year. I mean, this team is not perfect. The team has flaws. The team has warts. One of the big problems is, is that the team they're facing in Atlanta may not have many flaws or warts. And so that, you know, it, it's a reflection on if they were playing an imperfect team in Atlanta, you'd say, okay, we're right where we want to be. I get why people would look through the prism of Alabama and say things need to improve because they're right. But like you said yesterday, the, um, you know, the Florida didn't play Alabama on Saturday. Florida played Tennessee and, you know, took their foot off the gas, just like they've taken their foot off the gas in almost every game this year. And, uh, you know, it's only been them once. So, <laughs> I saw, Will, I saw pictures on, on uh, I saw pictures on Twitter where players were putting their Instagram uh, accounts and Twitter accounts on a whiteboard for Tennessee fans to, to see uh, <laughs> in the stands. So, yeah, that kind of lets you know later on in the game they were, you know, where the mindset was of the team. Yeah, well, I mean, Dave Wonderlick had written on Gator Country earlier this week about the Florida-Tennessee rivalry and how it's really not a rivalry anymore. That yeah. You know, when, when you beat a team like a drum like Florida has over the past two decades, at some point it's no longer a rivalry. You know, none of these kids remember when Florida and Tennessee was a big deal. I mean, the last time Florida and Tennessee played a big game, 2001 maybe, was when it was an actual, like a game that had national implications for both teams. And, you know, beyond that, they haven't really played a big game where where it's it's mattered to both teams at, at the same level. And certainly this weekend was <laughs> mattered to Florida, but Tennessee, you know, it didn't really matter to them at all in the grand scheme of things. And these kids who are 18, 19, 20 years old just don't remember this rivalry. So I think that's why you see guys like Kyrie Campbell posting stuff about LSU yeah. Right after the game this week where, you know, this team sees those, you know, all the times we've gone and see fake punts and, you know, ridiculous stuff happening at LSU where you lose by three and the back and forth type of battles. and Hurricane, know, the, the hurricane postponements. Hurricane <laughs> Matthew, the game where Tebow went for it on four or where LSU went yeah. for it against Florida in 2007 on fourth down all the time. The play where Percy caught the one off the DB's hands and took it to the house. Like all those things are things that these guys probably remember from when they were growing up they don't remember any of tennessee yeah so tennessee is just another game and and lsu is probably a little bit bigger rivalry so i'm looking forward to seeing what they do when they come out on uh, on saturday i'm glad the sec is actually playing the games as opposed to some of the other conferences that yep. decided to think out and i think the football gods reward you for that sort of stuff i i, I think uh playing a full schedule will prepare each of these teams and i think the other thing is is that it'll uh um you know, when they get to the playoff, these will be teams that are sharp and they'll be teams that, um, you know, the SEC will have been steeled and hardened by having played the full schedule. And I think the ACC sort of ducking in is uh, indicative of what they think about their teams. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we'll get into all that. Uh, we'll, we'll get Will's thoughts on the uh, Tennessee game, of course, and uh, look ahead, quick look ahead to LSU and kind of the theme of the episode of. Uh, the run game. We know the run game struggled versus Tennessee, and then Dan Mullen was bombarded with it <laughs> in the uh, Monday press conference. So we'll get into all that. And uh, uh, Neil Blackman wrote a real nice piece on Saturday down south. Kind of will be the focal point of getting a run game discussion started. I invited Neil uh, on the podcast tonight, but uh, he had some back- basketball practice uh, to handle there. So uh, <laughs> priorities, no, nah. Um, good stuff there for, uh, from Neil. So we'll get into it. We'll get into it, of course. But before we do... Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown 
at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. Hit that like button right now. A lot of you guys watching this live, hit that subscribe button as well. Or if you just want the audio version, check out us. Check us out on your favorite podcast platform on the go. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, well, man, get your uh, initial thoughts here. Looking back uh, even more in depth here uh, of the Tennessee game. Kind of follow the same script as the last few games of a little slow start on offense. Ramping it back up right before halftime, after halftime. Uh, getting kind of that two-for-one deal there. Uh, there, uh, you know, scoring touchdowns. Uh, defense helping out there in a way. I got some stats on that too. If we have time to get into it, if not, I'll save it for Wednesday. But uh, just kind of that scenario. But you know, that's kind of following the same script. Florida's followed the last couple of weeks. Um, Kyle Trask, uh, you, you really detailed it in, in your article at Reading Reaction. It's you know, it's not a shot when you say he played his worst game because it it, it was. He still he for, for himself. It was a bad game. Yeah, I mean, For, and then and I hate saying it because it it wasn't a bad game, but when you you're at the you know you put him on the pedestal right now, and ran rightfully so, he's earned that right. He had himself probably you know, his personal worst game, but still a really good game in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, he's the reason they won the game, right? I yeah. mean, he, he, and he's quite honestly, he's the reason they're eight and one. If they had average quarterback play right now, I think if they had Felipe Franks at quarterback, the team's probably you know six and three. Maybe. I mean, there's probably a couple of games that they don't win because they're not just able to go up and down the field. I wouldn't have a whole lot of confidence that any other quarterback would have been able to bring Florida back from being down 14 nothing as Georgia. But, yeah, I mean, I think you can objectively look at the game and say that Trask not struggled, but Trask didn't play as well as he has previously this year. But I think part of that is the running game. Obviously, we'll talk about that, that the running game just wasn't there. I mean, Florida had one yard in the first half or something like that, rushing on nine carries. I think part of it is, is that the, def- the defenses are starting to do a few things to make him hesitate. And when they, when he yeah. hesitates a little bit, starts questioning where he's going to throw it. And and he locked onto a few guys, right? That The pre-snap read told him that somebody else was going to come open, the defense made an adjustment post snap and and he was still sort of waiting for Tony or Pitts to come open a couple of times but we're really nitpicking when we say that Trask had a bad game by my statistic yards above replacement he was still well 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 above average it's just the problem is he's been Heisman worthy the entire year and this isn't one that I particularly this is not a highlight tape that I'm going to put in like if I'm if I'm sending film to an NFL scout and telling him which game to watch Kyle Trask to get an idea of how well he's playing. This is not the one I tell him to pop in. <laughs> pop in the. Uh, I'm sending, I'm the, sending the one throw to Copeland for a touchdown. And that's probably it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, look, that, that's the thing, right? Is he threw four touchdown passes. Yeah. He's got a really strong command of the offense. And even when he's a little bit off, or even when he's hesitating a little bit, or even when the defense is making him a little bit uncomfortable, he's still driving the team up and down the field. But it's interesting for as much as the defense has been the story all year long. The last couple of games, the story's been the defense has kept the Gator has kept the Gators in the game long enough for the offense to eventually take over, and and it's it's interesting to see that on the other foot. I mean, we see one long drive, obviously Tennessee going down the field. We saw one long drive with Kentucky going down the field last week, and and that was really it for until you got into the second half of both of those games, late in those games when it didn't really matter. 
And then the Florida offense finally was able to sort of come alive in both of those games. Obviously, as we talk about who we're playing next, or at least who we're playing two weeks from now, that, that isn't going to be acceptable. The offense is going to have to come out humming. But you suspect they're going to start ramping it up a little bit against LSU this week. Mm. They're home. They got LSU coming. LSU's defense is pretty bad. Get some confidence going into the SEC championship game. And then, you know, Nick mentioned yesterday, maybe they've just been watching Alabama tape for the last month and a half. <laughs> and if that's the case, hopefully Mullen has some surprises for the Tide. Yeah, and we'll get into that too. I, I, I think there, there there's some stuff out there. It's probably not the, the total reason uh, for a quote-unquote light luster performance the last couple of weeks there. But, you know, I think human nature a bit, as as we look forward to the Alabama game, that the team probably does in, in some ways as well. Uh, Neil, I, um, uh, Neil, wow. I was, that's where I'm going next, but before we do that, well, the, yeah, I, I agree with you with what you were saying. You know, Tennessee did a good job of mixing up when to play run and when to play pass. And, you know, going back and, and you know, they didn't drop as much as previous teams did um, versus Florida to defend the pass. They, I, watching it live, you probably thought that. But going back and watching the, the, the rewatch, you know, they, they kept – a good, you know, especially Florida's early runs where Florida couldn't get the run game going. They had guys in the box. You know, Florida didn't have a numbers advantage in the run game, ran right into it. <laughs> and, you know, they, they struggle blocking anyway. And they're not going to out block an even or a, you know, outnumbered front for, for, for Tennessee there. So, you know, you maybe want to check out of some of those. Or if you got an RPO, you know, maybe pull it back and, and, and pop a pass there. Uh, so that's kind of just the little things I think that added up. But the, yeah, the, the run game. I mean, it, it, it did struggle. We'll get into it. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought, you know, Tennessee's linebackers, they, they, they played the Florida run pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee definitely decided they wanted to make Florida one-dimensional. Um, they were able to succeed at doing that. The problem is when you make them one-dimensional and put the ball in Trask's hands, <laughs> then it causes you some problems. And, you know, the the pass interference that got called back to Malik Davis, um, you know, if that one doesn't get called back, we're having a different conversation. If they're able to convert after the fake punt, as opposed to going backwards and then missing the field goal. Again, it's sort of a little bit of a different conversation. Um, but, you know, when, when you start playing against really elite teams, you can't you can't not take advantage of being in plus territory. I know Brian Johnson talked about that a little bit today, mm-hmm. about taking advantage of it when you get the ball on the opposition side and and really having an attack mentality where you're able to where you're able to take advantage of that. But you know, it was interesting. Every time Tennessee went into single single high safety coverage with before the snap. I just looked at my daughter and said, this is going to be a touchdown. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's really what sort of happened. When you give Trask looks before the snap and don't come out of it, he's one of the best yes. I've ever seen at being able to pick you apart. The places where he struggled, like the one where he missed the deep throw to Copeland, um, he was waiting for Tony to come across the middle, and he didn't see that the safety had faked dropping deep and then had come up. He should have seen that Copeland was – he should have known the minute he saw that safety come up that Copeland was going to be open. He just didn't come off of that adjustment as quick. So those post-snap reads are things that – I mean, and look, every quarterback misses those from time to time. Yeah especially when you got a right tackle who's not moving sometimes when the ball is snapped. So, <laughs> you know, you, you, you've got – there are some complicating factors. He's getting hit quite a bit. And I even pointed this out in the old Miss game, I think, or maybe after the uh, the second game I think of the year. I it was the South Carolina game, yeah. I mean, that he was getting hit even on balls that he was getting rid of with like a, you know, a three-step drop really quickly. The ball was coming out quick. It was coming out on a line, and it was it was really effective on some of those back shoulder throws, but he was still getting hit on those sorts of things. And I'm glad you bring that up, Will, because – I know the sack numbers aren't very high. A lot of that's due to Kyle Trask getting rid of the ball, not the offensive line. 
Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that, that really improved last year when he took over is just the ball being out on time every time. Um, he struggled a little bit against Tennessee with that last year. He struggled a little bit against Auburn. But pretty much every other game last year, he was able to – um, get rid of the ball quickly. What he's added this year is he kind of manipulates the pocket, and he is a little bit more patient in terms of getting rid of the ball. But the 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 play where he got sacked where he had Copeland deep is the first time I really remember him sort of holding on to the ball longer than I thought he should. Um, you know, usually he just sort of chucks that ball out of bounds and lives to fight another day. And that was one situation where he just didn't come off a of Tony quick enough and, and it turns into a sack. But, again, those sorts of things happen. I, I think um, – you know, I, I sort of look at it as a three-quarter game. I mean, after the third quarter, mm-hmm. Florida was up thirty-one to seven. Probably should have been up, you know, forty-five to seven, and they just sort of packed it in and said, "Let's not get injured. Let's get back home and and enjoy our East title." And I suspect that's kind of what happened. Obviously, you'd like to see the defense clamp down. You'd like to see some actual tackling when you know, not just guys bouncing off of people like Ugh. a pinball. But you know, that, that is who this team is. Right. I think that's one of the things that that I'm. I just don't get frustrated about it because you know. I, I was thinking about this the other day, the old Miss game, people were upset that they didn't put their foot on old Miss's throat and let them keep coming back. I mean, they almost scored a touchdown on like the last play. It was like the last play of the game or with 13 seconds left or something on a fourth down, they almost scored a touchdown would have been within seven. If they had scored that one, South Carolina, the same way, right? They were really deep in ter- in, in Florida territory about to make it close. Um, you know, that's, that has been this team's MO the entire year is to get up, you know, 21, 24, 17 points, and then just sort of let the other team linger. Even the Georgia game, I mean, the ball that Trask threw that could have been a pick six yeah. in that Georgia game, if, if Georgia catches that and goes the other way, all of a sudden it's like a seven-point game, and you're starting to say, whoa, they don't have a killer instinct. So I think we kind of remember, because Georgia was the opponent we wanted to beat so badly, and just a three-point win would have been would have been something we would have savored. The idea that you beat them by a couple of touchdowns, you think of that one as being a dominating victory from start to finish, but Florida only scored six points in the second half clearly sort of said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to ramp this one down, try to run the ball and, and just run out the clock. And it could have gotten Harry there for a moment. Didn't happen to, and, uh, and Florida was able to win, but they have been ahead at halftime of every game they've been in. Yep. And, you know, they have been front runners the entire year. And, um, well, I even got it. Now that you, Say that I want to go and look at. Uh, they've probably been leading going into the fourth quarter every game as well. I don't know. I think they might have been behind against Texas A and M. Okay, A and M scored a touchdown to go ahead. Yeah, and then Florida and then Florida came back and uh, and, and tied the game. So I don't think they were ahead going into the fourth quarter in that one. But uh, yeah, but yeah, every other game they've been ahead going in the fourth quarter and been ahead significantly. I mean, again, you go back to the Arkansas game. Yeah, they gave up thirty five points, but you know there was a garbage touchdown at the end of that one. And I mean, hell, they scored sixty three. Um, you know, and, and you can actually look at it. They have been a much more effective second half team over the last few games than they were before. It's been the slow starts that have sort of plagued them against Kentucky and against Tennessee. Just, you know, against Georgia in the second quarter, they just blew the doors off of them. Same thing with Arkansas, with Missouri, a touchdown to end the half, a touchdown to start the second half, uh, which also has been something they've done quite a bit this year. So, again, it's not perfect. This team isn't perfect. They do have lulls. They have lulls on the defensive side of the ball, and everybody gets upset. Now they've had a couple of lulls on the offensive side of the ball, and people are getting upset. But at the end of the day, it's not a perfect team, which is why, you know, 
Alabama came out, I think, today as a 14-point favorite. I think that's deserved. I think Alabama should be a favorite in that game. But just because you're a favorite doesn't mean you win 100% of the time. In fact, if you look at the ESPN ticker about percentages for that game, I bet you it's probably like 80-20 or 75-25 or something like that. And So Florida has a fighting chance. I would not have put our chances at 1-4 in 2015 and 2016 against the Tide. Those were more like a one in a million type of shot, especially that second year. So, um Hope that the team can win. I think they're they're getting better. It's just not linear, right? So the defense is improving as the offense is sort of taking some steps back as they work on some stuff. And then again, I I, I would be surprised if they didn't come out against Alabama with some wrinkles that the Tide haven't seen yet and, uh, and are able to take advantage of some stuff that they haven't put on tape. Yep, and I just looked it up. Yeah, Florida was actually winning 28-24 going into the fourth quarter versus A&M. Yeah. So, yeah, they've been, they've been w- winning going into the fourth quarter every game this year. Yeah, I mean, well, I, well and it's funny that for a team that was a fourth-quarter dynamo the last yeah. two years, I mean, especially that 2018 team, but last year's team as well, was, you know, hey, we'll sort of hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, and then take over in the late third and early fourth quarter. That just has not been the case this year. They've been ahead so significantly going into the fourth quarter that, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily guys just, like, taking their foot off the gas. I just – I. And maybe it is a little bit. I'm just not sure they're good enough to be able to just coast. And the last couple of years, they've been great in the fourth quarter because they've never been able to coast because the game's always been close. Yeah. Now they're able to coast because they're up by two or three touchdowns. And we've seen what happens is, you know, the tackling sort of sort of wanes and the willingness to put your head in there and really go after the tackle <laughs> wanes and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. The scheme didn't change. The only thing I will say is the defense was a lot more aggressive against Tennessee. Especially, spe- especially, especially early on. Yeah, yeah. They, they had, the corners were up, right? And they paid for it a couple of times mm-hmm. on the long drive. Marco got beat on the back shoulder throw. Uh, they were in a lot of man-to-man, which meant the linebackers were, were stuck on running backs. And if the Tennessee, the Tennessee <laughs> running backs are causing you problems, I'm a little bit scared of what guys like Najee Harris are going to do. But – you know, again, that's that's the danger with man-to-man coverage. When you're in man-to-man coverage, your linebackers are in man-to-man coverage. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's a reason why Florida's played a lot of zone and played off a lot this year. And part of that is personnel. Part of that is scheme. And, and part of that is the opposition. So we'll see. They're getting a little bit more aggressive. The defense, I think, played pretty well, especially through three quarters. I think they played really well against Kentucky last week. Um they are still the liability on the team, but they are improving. And we'll, you know, this isn't a lights out Alabama defense this year. And so maybe it's not quite the advantage you would think of if you've got two elite offenses and then a defense in Alabama, that's a little bit better than Florida's. But if you're not good enough to stop either one, then, you know, it'll be a track meet. I think Florida's got a shot. All right. There we go. There we go. Still got LSU first. Will. that's the crazy thing. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's the crazy thing. Uh, we'll get by that. We'll get by that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get the ad read here for my bookie. Just calls. Uh, I think our running segment or running the football segment is going to go pretty, pretty, pretty long here. So just to help them out here, it's the most wonderful time of the year that can't end soon enough. We all deserve a win. We all deserve a little extra money in our pocket, and we all deserve to have a little fun. The only place you're guaranteed to get all three is my bookie. My bookie is the only sports book that doesn't care whether you were naughty or nice this year. They got gifts for everyone. Bet the NFL, NBA, all your favorite college sports, and more. Sign up today and receive the ultimate stocking stuffer, 50% deposit, deposit bonus up to $1,000. 
great place to start. But we all know Christmas is about what's under the tree. And at my bookie, that means huge deposit bonuses, epic giveaways, and free contest. It's simple. Sign up, enter promo code Gators, and get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. Head over to my bookie to make the most of the holidays this year and strut into 2021 with cash in your pocket. Bet this winner at my bookie. So there we go. All right, well, so yeah, Neil Blackman, a good good friend of the show here, uh, put up a really good article detailing the Florida run game, and he titled he titled it, you know, is it time to panic about the disappearing Florida run game? So I'm going to go into the key statistic here, and then uh, kind of just read for verbatim uh, part of his article here, and he says the reason Florida now ranks eighth in offensive success rate nationally, as opposed to Alabama's first, is really quite simple. The run game has fallen off in recent games. After Florida's 44-28 win over Georgia, the Gators ranked 38th in success rate running the football. So what does that mean? It means that the Gators ranked in the top 40 in the country in successful run plays or the number of running plays where a running back gains 40% of the yards needed on first down, 60% of the yards needed on second down, or 100% of the yards needed on third or fourth down. As he says, that number is not elite, but it it provided Florida enough of a threat to balance and her defenses. He says the Gators actually improved to 34th in rushing success rate after the Arkansas game to a game that saw Florida turn out 208 yards rushing on 45 carries, allowing Trask in the passing game to collect over 10 yards per attempt and throw for seven touchdowns. Now he says, unfortunately for Florida, the 63 point outburst against Arkansas was the high watermark for the offense. Since then, the Gators have been limited to 38 34, and 31 points by the likes of Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Of those three opponents, only Kentucky ranks in the top 50 nationally in total defense. He says the biggest reason Florida has struggled, the run game has fallen off the face of the earth. 173 rushing yards against Vanderbilt, but that came on 40 carries. And Florida saw its rushing success uh, its rushing success rate fall out of the top 40 for the first time all season against um, there and against, against Kentucky it was even worse with only 104 yards on 25 attempts the result of that effort was Florida's lowest point production game from an offensive standpoint of the 2020 season and a Florida run game that fell to 55th nationally in rushing success rate Saturday against Tennessee what had been a struggling run game disintegrated altogether says Neil the Gators mustered only 19 rushing yards on 17 attempts and 17 of those yards came on the Jacob Copeland reverse early in the second half. Florida's running backs, who played such a huge part in the offense early in the season, tallied only 7 yards on 11 rush attempts. Only one of Florida's 11 attempts by a running back was a successful run, and only three of Florida's 17 rushing attempts on the day were successful. As a result, Florida's rushing, rushing success rate is poised to drop out of the top half of college football. Well, that was the highlight there. Not a lot of successful runs. Uh, in recent games uh, for the Gator rushing attack. Um, I th- you know, w- we talked about it plenty of times on this podcast, and we saw signs of this run game getting better as the season went on. Then you had uh, you know, yards per carry against Georgia wasn't there, but you could see early on in the game and some broken tackles and Damian Pierce running tough. That's okay. You saw some signs of the, of the Florida run game where you, you didn't necessarily feel too bad about it. Then the Arkansas gun comes along, as as Neil pointed out, and probably you know, the best they had looked all year, uh, running the ball, complete offensive performance with rushing and passing. And then just since that, it's just uh, 
we haven't seen the growth against, you know, opponents that, you know, we, we went into this stretch of games, Will, knowing that Florida's much better than Vanderbilt and Kentucky and Tennessee. And this might be the, you know, the, the stretch of the season where they could work on, work on the struggling run game. Not only did this, you know, <laughs> I don't even know if they really worked on it, but for, for whatever reason, against those opponents, it somehow got worse. Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't even really try it against Tennessee, right? I mean, they they didn't give. They did early, the but that was about it. Well, they did, and obviously, when you're getting stopped, you got to sort of go away from it. And Agreed. When you when you got trash, just sort of blasting it right down the field, like why bother? I think is probably a lot of the attitude there. Um, we didn't see Emory Jones at all against yep. Tennessee, and I think that's part of it is that when Emory comes in, he opens things up. That's one of the things I think that when you go back and look at the film, you will see that there were some opportunities for Trask on the read option to pull the ball because the defensive end was collapsing and he didn't necessarily do that. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think just hand it off to your running back, get your two yards and get back in the huddle as opposed to getting Trask hit. I really don't want Trask getting hit in any of these games, but that is how you improve the running game is if you can occupy that defensive end and make him stay honest, then you've got the ability to not have him chasing down the run from the backside when you're, when you're, stoned up front a little bit give the give the running back an opportunity to sort of slip through you know the little the little screen pass out to shorter that that's an extension of the running game yep. the little uh the little uh wheel routes that they throw to the running back it's not really the running game but that's kind of an extension of the running game because you're putting the running back in a position where he's in one-on-one usually with a linebacker um, you know, so they do some things in the passing game that sort of replicate the type of stuff they're looking to do in the running game Look, this is just not a running team, right? And to be honest, it, it's inefficient to take the ball out of Trask's hands yep. and give it to Damian Pierce or Malik Davis or Naquan Wright and said, run it, say, run it. You got to do it just enough to keep the defense honest. But this is not the 2015 team going to LSU and just like running LaMichael P. Ryan down their throats and, and, you know, mainly because they couldn't do anything at the quarterback position. But this team doesn't win any games 17 to 14 or, or 24 to 21. This game, this team wins 30. 38 to 34 if it's a good team. And, and uh, you know, so they're not necessarily going to run the ball. I, I think, though, that is the one thing that I would say is that looking forward, whether they, well, there's two things. One is the um, they clearly are better at running the ball outside. Mm-hmm. And they just don't do it. And whether they're not doing it because they don't want to show it or whether they're not doing it because, you know, they're – because they just don't want to do it. I don't know what they're – because if you look at it, it's funny. I looked at the rush frequency for Florida, Mm -hmm. and the rush frequency in terms of outside left, inside left, inside right, and outside right is identical to Alabama's distribution. The difference – and, in fact, their yards per rush outside left and outside right are identical Identical. to Alabama. And inside right, they're actually a little bit better than Alabama. But inside left, right behind Alex Leatherwood – Alabama's averaging 6.7 yards per rush and Florida's averaging 4.0. And that's really sort of where the difference starts to come in is Alabama has bread and butter plays that they run right behind the left guard and the left tackle. And Florida doesn't have that that they can go to. The one thing I would like to see them do beyond just having Trask maybe heat the ball every once in a while to keep the defense honest is that sort of little – the little – pitch that they have that kind of looks odd that goes to the other side they ran that once earlier in the year and i think trask went for like 24 or 25 yards it's the only time i've seen him run it this year 
and it's an incredibly effective play that they ran like four or five, six times against LSU a couple of years ago with Felipe Franks. Maybe they're saving that for when they uh, for when they've got Alabama to sort of open up the running game also and loosen things up yeah. a little bit. It also makes me wonder, Will, with teams dropping back, if that play really is beneficial though. Like, well, I, you know, I think you know, match it up wise. I think if you start to see Bama maybe man up on them, then you probably can see that, that, that play a little bit. And the other thing I think would be interesting to see them do is they're – the opposition is coming with a blitz every once in a while to come after Trask. And when they do, I'd like to see them maybe run a screen or something where they allow the defense, you know, allow the defense's aggression to, and use it against them. Like you said, sometimes they're dropping back. You got to catch them in a blitz to mm-hmm. make a screen make any difference. But even just the, the, fact that you're going to call a screen sort of makes people think when they're going upfield, maybe I shouldn't go upfield quite as heavily. And, and that's the thing is you're not running the ball to get seven yards a clip and salt the game away. You're running the ball to protect your quarterback. (laughs) So that he's got an extra half a second to let go of the ball when somebody's coming open. And that's really all they need to do. So I think for for linebackers to drop back in coverage and stuff. I mean, you know, it's just the chain reaction uh, a bit. I think there are some things that they can do in in schematically to make things a little bit better. Um, but some of it is just want to, right? I mean, some of it is you got to knock the guy back in front of you, and they just haven't done that in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, you hope it's just a matter of they're kind of coasting because they know these teams can't beat them, and they know Trask can take care of it. And, you know, do you really want to bang heads with, with Tennessee when you really when you really got Alabama on your mind? And that hopefully that's what it is, but, you know, yeah, you would like to see them execute better. They just haven't done it. But again, that's kind of what I said earlier. So the team's been up and down all year within the game. Like they've been inconsistent at times. The only time the offense <clears throat> really hasn't had some inconsistencies is against uh, against Arkansas, right? There was just a buzzsaw going up and down the field. But Arkansas is not a really good team when it comes to either the run or the pass from the defensive side of the ball, and Florida was able to exploit it. I suspect we'll see a lot of the same thing this week. Um, you know, LSU is really, really bad against the run, they're 86th, giving up 4.6 yards per play. But they are really, really bad against the pass. They're 127th in the country, 9.7 yards per play. That's a full yard worse than Vanderbilt Mm. through the air. Vanderbilt's given up 8.7. LSU's given up 9.7. Now, granted, they did just get torched for like a 13-yard per play clip against Alabama, but at the same time, LSU's been bad all year and, and has gotten absolutely torched. So if you're looking – if Florida's really trying to win this game and really trying to put up style points or any of that sort of stuff or try to get trash the Heisman Trophy, this is an opportunity to sort of light things up like a Christmas tree. I don't think they're going to spend a whole lot of time working on the run game. Mm. I think that's stupid. I think the way the way you put this game away quickly is you just start chucking it and come out from the jump, throwing it down the field and, and force LSU to do the thing that they hate doing. And LSU doesn't have the offense to be able to keep up. Yep. And here's why I will. I I completely agree. Go do what you do. Well, Florida ranks 76th in the country in average yards per run. And since everyone likes to compare, LSU ended last year 31st in the country in an average yard per run at 4.88. Alabama this season is 30th at 5.01. So I think Florida was at like 4.3, I think. for uh, I, didn't, I didn't put it in here, but if I remember right, I think it's like 4.3 for Florida, and that was good for 76 in the country. Alabama right now is 30th at 5. You know, if you want to compare offenses there, uh, and for the team that probably does it best in the SEC right now, a balancing run and pass, Alabama is 30th at a 5.01 yards per carry there. So 
When and another thing, everybody knows I've kind of been a stickler for explosive runs this year, but. I mean, we're, we're this late in the season now. That doesn't even matter. <laughs> you know, it's just, can you run the ball at all? Uh, but Florida ranks 87th in the country in 10-plus yard runs with 27. So 27 runs of at least 10 yards. Florida is 104th in the country in rush plays of at least 20 yards with only five rushing plays of only 20-plus yards. Kadarius Tony has one of those. <laughs> so the running backs only have four. I think wait, I think Kyle Trask has a 24 yarder too. So if I'm if I'm remembering off the top of my head right, Will, the pure running backs only have three carries this year that have went over 20 yards. So ooh, you know, that's uh that that's my point right now. I'm at this part, I'm at this point of the season to where you just don't waste plays on it. You, you I, you're you're a rushing team. Everybody wants to sit here and say, oh, you gotta be balanced to be at Alabama. Not this Florida team. Not this Florida team. You've got you got to go play your game. You got to go play your game enough to do it. Keep them honest. Keep them honest. But I I don't need to see what we saw versus Tennessee when you run on first down, gain one yard, and then run on second down again, and have Kyle Trask have to convert a third and seven, third and eight, third and that third and nine just because you wanted to do it. You know, so I mean, I think it depends. The places I was surprised, and this is maybe the other place where they could improve their their rushing is. There were a lot of times where Tennessee had three men in the box on, say, like third and two. Mm-hmm. And two years ago, that was an automatic Felipe Franks was oh, running yeah. in the middle. Yep. And they don't do that anymore, right? I mean, they will run Trask on the quarterback power every once in a while. But usually that's a, we're going to have sort of a bunch set and we're going to, you know, bring a lot of people in and we're just going to have Trask up the middle. It's not an automatic that they have that sort of QB sneak on third and two. And I know you trust Trask and I know you think he's great going down the field, but if they're just going to hand you a first down, yeah, like those are times where maybe, yeah, that's the only time I'm not going to complain when they run the quarterback power with Trask. Now, obviously he kind of looks like a, I think I saw somebody say he looked like a wounded giraffe out there running around <laughs> when he's, uh, when he's, when he's running for the, for the first down. But you know, those are the places where I think maybe you say, all right, let's run the ball. And Florida's actually been pretty successful at those third and two type mm-hmm. of things. I was a little bit surprised that they didn't try to run the ball a couple of times on those and just put the ball in Trask's hands. As so well, that's probably as, that's probably where I'm at. Throw early to set up third and short if you want to run, if you have to run. Well, but if, maybe. So I, I guess it depends on, on, on how you feel about things. Because if you look at Trask's stats, and this I think is one of the things that's really impressive about him. So on third and 10 plus, he's 10 of 15, so 67%, averaging 8.9 yards per attempt. On second and 10 plus, he's 21 of 32, so 66%, 331 yards, averaging 10.3 yards per attempt. So basically, you get in second or third down in 10 or more, and Florida's converting first downs because he's averaging 10 yards every time he attempts to throw. <laughs> you look at him under pressure, he's 43 of 69, so 62%, 636 yards, 9.2 yards per throw. So, you know, Trask is playing at an elite level, whether it's second and two or whether it's second and 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hasn't really been in those second and 10 plus situations a lot. He's in like third and seven a lot, but. You know, he's able to convert those because he's incredibly skilled. I agree with you in some capacity that, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to run on first down, get stoned, run on second down, get stoned, and then force Trask to make the conversion. At the same time, that's kind of demoralizing. 
right? Like when, when Florida was playing Texas A&M and the Aggies kept converting those uh-huh. third and sixes, third and sevens, third and eights, the defense just sort of started sagging. You could see it. You could see them get gassed. And there is a benefit to doing that. And one of the things that I do think is that if, if, if Florida gets into the fourth quarter against a team like Alabama and has not run the ball at all, then Alabama's defense is going to be fresh. And you know Florida's defense is going to be gassed because Alabama will stick to it. And that's one of the things you got to be concerned about. Is they're really going to have to play – really, the game against LSU is the same way, but they're going to have to play both of those games from ahead, right? That if they get way behind and the opposition is able to run the ball, their defense is going to get tired and they won't really tire out the opposing defense. And, um, you know, th- there is a benefit to hitting the other team early to wear them down. And, yeah, you're getting one yard in the first quarter, but what about in the third quarter or the fourth quarter when you need to run the clock? Have you established that you're going to be able to pick up, you know, that one yard turns into four and the four yards turns into seven. And we just haven't seen that this year because they haven't shown the commitment to it. Part of that is probably because why would you when you have Trask back there? Because he's going to pick up the first down for you. And it's not like he throws a lot of interceptions. But I, I do think at some point, it's sort of the same thing we said about the defense. At some point, the defense is going to have to win them a game. And at some point, the running game is going to have to step up. Obviously, it wasn't against Tennessee. Um, I don't suspect it's going to be against LSU. I think they're going to have some wrinkles against Alabama to get the ball outside. Because that is where Florida is able to run the ball. Get the ball outside, whether it's with Tony, whether it's with Copeland, mm-hmm. or whether it's with the running backs where you're actually running different option plays and things like that to get the ball on the edge. This team isn't going to just blow the blow the guys right in front of them back six yards nope. and, and and just drive down the field. They're going to have to get explosives on the sideline. We'll see whether they can do that. But getting to the edge is key because, like I said, they're averaging the exact same yardage on outside runs as Alabama. It's just the inside runs to the left where Alabama dominates and, and Florida has not. Yeah, I think you could probably see, you know, and do you work on it versus LSU? Do you see the outside edge runs with Naquan Wright and Malik Davis? Because to to me, those are the the backs that you throw uh, in in that position if you're going to run to the edge uh, there. So uh, lack of running game, Will, it it was stressed uh, to Dan Mullen in his Monday's press conference today. And uh, I I don't think he's putting on a face, and I think he means it. You know, he says the passing game is there. So, so, So the run game results are not a big concern for him. Of course, he'd like to run the ball better, but that's but he says you know that's not the offense. So he said they could spend a lot of time running the ball, but that doesn't really fit the strength of the team right now. And jokingly says you know it sounded like us in the media today were were challenging him a bit. That uh, uh, said if he wanted to stress it, Florida could come out in the wishbone and he'd run run the ball every play versus LSU. That's how he ended the uh, press conference today. So uh, a little you know fun back and forth there uh, between Mullen uh, having it there. So. You know, well, the, it, look, there is a thought out there that Florida has to win the ball better to win versus Alabama next week. So, to me, you know, how does that translate this week? Do you – and, you know, you threw the stats out there for LSU of, look, it's not a very good defense overall, and they do struggle passing the ball. Uh, you know, do you work – is this the week you try and work on some stuff that you've probably been preparing for the last month behind the scenes uh, for Alabama? You know, I, I'm in the mindset of – don't be stubborn, uh, you know, so uh, you can, you're not going to pass every down, but, you know, I'm airing it out. I don't think there has to be balance. Uh, I'm not sure I even try to figure it out. <laughs> Huawei's precious plays, I think, especially against Alabama, you know, for something that hasn't necessarily been there all year. So Tennessee game was a great example. Florida passed the ball to score. When Florida had that mindset of pass, 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 pass to go, when they knew, when they, knew they needed points, they went down there, passed the ball down the field, Score some points. 
Mullen will have uh, – Will, you mentioned this a couple times. I think I'll agree with you here. He'll have a wrinkle for Alabama. We, we, we saw it. Whether that is more Tony in the backfield or more Copeland sweeps and Tony sweeps or these running backs on the edge, I do think we'll see some bit of that, some form of that. But, you know, I, I, he's not dialing down or, or, or sandbagging. That's not the complete excuse for, for, for the offense and performing the, the, the last couple of weeks. You know, I, I think we'll, we're not going to know until Florida lines up against Alabama what they've done the last month is in preparation for Alabama, if they've been hiding stuff. I, I'm not a big believer in that. <laughs> I think you go out there and play your game uh, to, to a certain extent. So I just think I, I think there's a lot of ways to, to look at some of the run game struggles, maybe some of the offense struggles. And we're really not going to get the answer till, till, till Florida and Alabama line up and you know, to maybe to an extent when Florida plays LSU this week as well, we're not going to know what they show, what they put out there versus LSU and how it translates to Alabama next week. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. So if you look at yards per rush, um, Florida has only had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven quarters where they've been below two and a half yards per rush. And every time they have one of those quarters, the offense sputters. Mm. So first half against Tennessee, 0.1 yards per rush. Obviously, they still scored 17 points, but there was there were points left on the field, absolutely. Second half, 2.3, same thing. First half against Vanderbilt was one of those where the team was a little bit sluggish, didn't necessarily come flying out, didn't score a whole lot. Second half against Georgia, 1.6 yards per rush. They only scored six points. 1.9 yards per rush in the second half against Texas A&M after averaging 4.9 in the first in the first half and and you know Florida had to punt a couple of times and, and had a couple of turnovers there in in the or one turnover in the A&M game and then the second half against South Carolina they had 1.3 yards per rush and that was when the offense was sort of sputtering and we were sitting there going well why can't they put it away and you look at the games where they didn't struggle in the second half to put the game away 6.7 yards per rush against Ole Miss 5.4 yards per rush against Missouri 5.7 six yards per rush against Arkansas 5.4 yards per rush against Vanderbilt when they really sort of slammed the door there in the second half against Vandy came out in the third quarter and just absolutely took care of them at that point so Look, when when they run the ball, the offense is more effective. In fact, you can even start to track if you look at games where they've where they've um, scored more than forty points. Mm-hmm. The only game where they had less than hundred yards rushing was the Georgia game, and they had ninety seven. Mm. When they're when they're putting up two hundred yards of rushing or one hundred ninety six against Ole Miss, they score fifty one. Two hundred eight against Arkansas, they score sixty three. Missouri, they had one hundred sixty nine yards and they score forty one. So the the offense works better when they run the ball effectively. Not a huge surprise, right? But right. we talk. Talk about how efficient they are when they put the ball in the air. But one of the things that you do is, you know, you mentioned that you give the ball to a running back and he runs for a yard and then Trask is stuck in second and nine. But Trask drops back, throws an incomplete pass because he gets pressured. And now you're second and 10 and you're in the same exact situation. Now, obviously, that doesn't happen very often because Trask doesn't throw a whole lot of incompletions. But you know, you're sort of in the same situation. And, you know, in those games where they've been able to get four or five yards in the, in the running game, they've been able to set up Trask in the second and four, second and five situations, and he's deadly, right? Because you see, like the play against Vanderbilt that I'm remembering specifically, I want to say it was either a, I want to say it was like a second and four, the play where Tony juked the guy and, and went to the end mm. zone and just like the guy fell down because it was such a nice move. Like those sorts of plays only happen when they have to be concerned. One, one when they're in man-on-man coverage, but the other thing is, is when they're worried about the little out route for four yards, Right. And if they're not worried about it because it's third and seven, 
and they're not worried about a four yard route, then they're going to be able to be able to defend you when you try to go deep. So those are the things that I think the running game starts to bring. And yeah, I think they should work on it. But I think at the end of the day, that's not going to be the bread and butter of this Florida team. And it's not going to be the way you beat LSU. And it's not going to be the way you beat Alabama. The way you beat them is by running the ball enough to keep them honest. But I don't like what they did against Tennessee. Right. I don't like that they just basically said, we're going to abandon the running game. We're going to put it all on Trask. I think he has the ability to do that. But I think one of the reasons why they weren't able to move the ball when they got the, when they got the ball deep in Tennessee territory is they weren't sort of able to, they weren't really able to take advantage of that because you know they were going backwards, right? They, the a sack on one, incomplete passes. Mm-hmm. You're ending up third and ten, taking a sack, and your shot is deep to Copeland at that point. That's all well and good, but at the same time, you know if you'd just run it three times for eight yards, you would have been able to kick a field goal. So um, I, I think the running game is a contributor contributory factor to this offense being elite. I think when you look at the run it in the halves where they have just absolutely obliterated the opposition. They've run the ball really, really well. I think that's, I think that's something that we need to take into account and something that is worth working on. Now, what exactly they need to work on. That's a different story. I think misdirection is the way you get the running yards. You know, in fact, if you look back at that old miss game, I think what, 57 of the 196 came on the came on the run by Tony yeah. where he was surrounded by like nine guys and still went into the end zone. So, um, you know, they're going to have to do that a little end arounds. Um, I'm surprised they haven't done any of those things. You know, the little, the little pitch that a lot of teams have in their, in their arsenal yeah. where the guys coming around instead of, instead of handing it to them on a reverse, they give them a pitch so that if the ball's dropped, that it ends up being an incomplete pass. They haven't done anything where they've had a, uh, you know, where, where they've done the, uh, the sort of tight end pitch up the middle. Like a lot of the misdirection type things that there was a play against, I think it was A&M maybe, where Tony got the ball like on an inside. It was almost like a counter because it was an inside handoff to Tony where he sort of went around the edge, but it was a real the quick old, handoff to him. The old Percy counter? Yeah, something like that. Something, but he yeah. wasn't back in the he, – he was in motion. Yeah. And they okay, tapped okay. it as he was coming in motion, gotcha. but it was not – it was down in the red zone. I think yeah. it was against A&M, and it was a really pretty play. And I haven't seen that at all the rest of the year either. So, yeah, I think they're holding some things back, but it is going to hold I back guess, a couple of weeks. And, yeah, I, I guess where I'll go with it, I don't think the traditional run game is going to work. Now, if you want to, it is going to have to take some creativity. I think if you want this run game to be a factor, if you want this run game to – Put up the yards, and you I, and, and I believe you said it earlier. I don't think this Florida this Florida offensive line, this Florida run game, is not just going to be able to line up and and, and push and push Alabama off the, off, off so the ball. Those are those are two different things, though, right? Yes. So yes, being a factor and putting up yards are two different things. Correct. Florida run game can be a factor if they get five yards twice in a drive. Yeah. Right. And you look back and you go, we got two two rushes for ten yards that drive, but the other sixty five are on Trask. But Trask was able to take shots downfield twice because it was second and five. Right. And and that's where the 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 one yard stop kills you. If you even if you get three, having it at second and seven for Trask makes a difference because he's got different options when the defense takes different things away. He doesn't have to push it ten yards downfield, and that's that's all you're looking for. So I think the running game being a factor is different than the running game putting up yards. Now, you know, obviously putting up yards ends up being a factor, and your offense is much more efficient when you're able to run the ball. But those would be the things I'd be looking for is can you pop a five, a six, a seven-yard run? It's one of the reasons I've been a little bit surprised they haven't given the ball to Pierce a little bit more 
Because if you remember early in the year, one of the things, I think it was SEC StatCat had some stat about how Florida was gaining more yards after contact yep. than anybody else in the SEC. Mm-hmm. But they were like middle of the pack in terms of their ability to run, which really means the running back was doing the yeoman's work. Yep. Of actually, you know, he's getting hit in the backfield, but he was still able to fall forward for three or four yards. That's Damian Pierce. Yep. And so, you know, Malik Davis can and make he showed that versus Georgia, too. And he, and he really showed that versus Georgia, too. Like, you know, when that was around the rounded. Time that I really looked into that stat, and then it was the week of the Georgia game, and that's what Damian Pierce really showed in that game. And like he'd get hit at the line of scrimmage, but he's getting three or four yards. Yeah, so you know they gave him, <laughs> they gave him what like five carries. I think he had four or five. Yeah, yeah. So five carries for five yards. I mean that's not yeah. enough, right? I mean yeah. if you're going to give four to Naquan Wright and you're going to give two to Malik Davis, I, I think you just say, hey, based on who we are and what we need to do, let's give nine to Damian Pierce. And and figure out the other stuff later. Now, obviously, Malik Davis is somebody who's really active in the passing game, and so they like having him back there. At the same time, you know, if you want to run the ball and you want to run it effectively, I think Pierce is the guy who has the opportunity to do that because he can break tackles and he can turn it. He doesn't have to turn a one yard run into a fifty yard run. He has right. to turn a one yard run into a four yard run, and all of a sudden now your running game is a factor, even if it's not necessarily putting up a whole bunch of yards. And Will, I, I guess I will say too, and I have to go back and be able to probably look at this as well as far as the run game, but how it translates to explosive plays too. The explosive plays may not be coming in the run game, but when Florida was running the ball better, did that contribute to bigger explosives in the passing game? And, uh, and so that would that would have you know have to be something we have to go back and you know look at down and distance and you know situations, but uh, that uh, I just that just kind of crept in my mind of, uh, of how when Florida was running the ball better, you know, we didn't, you know, the Florida offense didn't have really any explosive plays or not many explosive pass plays versus uh, Tennessee, not in the fashion that we were used to seeing them as far as, you know, Tony breaking or a 50, 60 yard tackle. We had the, they had the pits, the long pits. The yarder to pits. Yeah. They had the 28 yarder to Copeland at the end of the first half. Um, they dialed it back a little bit in the second half. We're yeah. going down quite as much, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, 23 yard pass to Tony on the field goal drive. They had a 22 yard pass to Tony. They had to punt. They had another 20 yard pass to Tony. There's a theme here uh, for, for a touchdown <laughs> and then 28 yards to Copeland and another drive that wound up ending up in a touchdown. And, and so they're still getting the explosives, but you're right. It's not 37 yards per explosive yeah. like it was against Ole Miss. Now it's 26 yards per explosive. And, and yeah, some of that is the defense is able. So Dan Mullen's offense and Urban Meyer's offense, in fact, I managed to get a bootleg copy of Urban Meyer's Ohio State offensive scheme at some point. And, and it says on the first page that the entire goal of the offense is to get the defense to commit a safety up to the line of scrimmage. Yep. Get the single high safety and then attack. That is the fundamental thing that they drill into all of their players on the first page of the playbook. And so Florida doesn't have the ability to do that right now, Mm -mm. right? They do not have the ability to force the defense to bring up that safety. And so what they're doing is they're doing it with the little bubble screens. They're doing it with formations. Um, One of the things you haven't seen this year at all, and we saw it a lot in 2018, we saw it a lot at Mississippi State, was having the wide receivers out so far beyond the hashes that the outside runs were just open. 
because because there was so much space and where the safeties were gave them an opportunity that if the defense played one way, you pitched it outside. If the defense played another way, the quarterback ran right up the middle. Again, because of who you have at quarterback, you've had to make some adjustments. But the formations that Florida has been known for to use to open up the running game have not necessarily been used very much this year. It's been very vanilla. And again, I, I suspect that it's vanilla for a reason that that they're preparing for some things coming up a couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, that's the issue is that Tennessee, when it really came down to it, was able to have two safeties deep and maybe they would shift their safeties after the snap, but they had the two safeties deep at the snap because they didn't have to worry about the running game. If you make the opposition worry about the running game, the safety can't shift pre post snap because he's already up helping and run support. That's the goal of a Mullen offense. That's the goal of an urban Meyer offense is run them out of the two deep and then throw it once they go single high. And they just have not been able to really get the opposition into single high. So they're doing some things to get some guys open via formations and things like that in the passing game. But that's why the running game is important. And so if you can force the defense to come up, um, all of a sudden those big plays are going to be there behind them. And, and against Ole Miss, that was true, right? The deep throw to Pitts, they were able to hit some of those deep throws because they were able to run the ball in that game. And and that just hasn't been consistent this year. And yeah, I'm not sure that it will be. I, I think one of the things is, yeah. is that this is a team that has warts. We know it has warts. And the question is, can they overcome the warts or can they scheme around the warts? Not necessarily are the warts going to go away because they aren't. I mean, right, the, the team is who it is at this point. There are probably some things you can do schematically. There are probably some things you can do to sort of surprise Alabama. But Nick Saban's been around for a while, so I suspect his guys will be ready for the types of things that that uh, Mullen might bring. And that's kind of been brought up a whole lot too. Oh, you know, they're sandbagging, they're saving some stuff from Alabama. I, I do agree to a point, but Nick Saban has been coaching long enough. There's enough film out there on this Florida offense. There's enough film out there on Emory Jones. There, the surprises will run out. At some point, you're going to have to play your game and beat Alabama. You're not going to surprise them all game long. Yeah, well, and the game's throwing the ball, right? Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. the, the game is not – and it is interesting. I mean, last year, if you remember, like fourth and one was pretty much an automatic end around to Tony. Yeah. Right? I, mean, I remember and, the, and and that beauty. The bowl game against there Michigan, they did the go. same thing. That was sort of how they salted that game away. Yep. It was the end around to Tony on fourth and one. They did it against South Carolina that year a couple of times as well. Um, I remember them doing it last year, maybe against Kentucky. Is who they did it against? I can't remember. But yeah, yeah, because Florida, Florida went up and pretty much put the game away with, with that after that, Kentucky. That's right, but it was Swain, right, or Hammond, uh, Hammond. who yep. took the end around on that one. Yep. So. I haven't seen that play in a while either. Like there hasn't been anything to get the ball to the outside, which is funny because that's where they're good at actually running the ball. Um, so you, you know, saw I, the, the, the sweep to Copeland was, you know, 17 yards against Tennessee. But yeah, I mean, it's just. Well, and when you look at so I know a lot of people are, are critical and, and rightfully so for various things, for various reasons. But but DeLance is pretty is pretty athletic when it comes to getting to the outside. And so take advantage of that. Right, like get him out there and take advantage of his athleticism to get out there on the edge. He's not some big lumbering tackle. He he gets beat for the most part because of technique, not because of uh, not because he he doesn't have quick feet. And so get him out there on the edge and let him block and and get him in the way, but give him some open space because inside Florida's offensive line hasn't really been able to sort of. Um, hasn't been able to overpower the opposition. So do it with a little bit of finesse on the outside. I, I suspect that's what's going to be coming either, if not this week, then in two weeks. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, before we sign off on here, 
Florida did it again versus Tennessee. I wanted to hit this here, but score right before and after halftime. I, I kind of went back and tracked this uh, a bit. Ole Miss, uh, and another reason I want to do this because I want to be, uh, look, we've all taken shots at this defense, rightfully so. But I'm giving a big shout-out to the defense, too, in this situation. And you'll kind of see why when I when I go through this. And, look, th- this part of the game for Dan Mullen, it is a team aspect for Dan Mullen and what they've been able to do here. So, scoring right before and after halftime. They did it versus Ole Miss, first game of the season. That was started because the defense got a three and out. Missouri, Florida had two touchdowns in the last 351 of the first half. Um, so drive right before halftime was with, um, you know, 35 seconds left, uh, there, but in between those two touchdown drives, a three play fumble that the, uh, Gator defense popped up the Gator offense with, uh, against Georgia, the touchdown right before halftime, a three and out from the defense before that, uh, against Georgia, they went touchdown field goal right before halftime, right after halftime. Arkansas, um, they did it right before halftime. Arkansas started the second half uh, with the ball, but scored right before halftime. Uh, did that was set up by a getter defense three and out. <laughs> so against Vanderbilt, touchdown, touchdown, right before halftime, right after halftime. Defense four plays and a punt against uh, Kentucky. That was because of a punt return uh, for Kadarius Tony. Defense had to force that. It was a three and out, and the punt return came from uh, uh, came from Tony there against Tennessee. Uh, it was a six-play drive for Tennessee, and Florida went touchdown, touchdown, right before halftime, right after halftime. So, you know, uh, shout-out to Rami um, Intriago. hope I'm saying that right. He uh, tagged us there uh, on Twitter when he was tracking that. So, I mean, the, the two-for-one has been huge uh, for the Gators this season, but it doesn't happen without the defense getting getting the Gators the ball back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, they, they've been fortunate in some respects that they've been able to defer most of the time. So yeah. they get coming been, out of their house. It has been worked out. Yeah, that, that's the, uh, I mean, you can't, you, yeah, you can't plan that, but it has worked out for the Gators pretty, pretty good there. Well, I think maybe the only game that I remember that they didn't necessarily score going in was the Texas A&M game because A&M was at like the two-yard line and and wound up having to kick a field goal because of their clock management going into the half. And you thought maybe, hey, Florida has an advantage here because they, quote-unquote, forced them to kick a field goal before the half because the clock ran out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, the defense absolutely has to turn them over in order for you to have an opportunity that's been one of the frustrating things about the last three games that the defense has been able to get the ball back to the offense much more often than they were mm-hmm. earlier in the year. And the offense has sputtered a little bit, but again, that's, that's one of those things where it's just um, the offense has been unbelievable when they've gotten into hurry up. You do wonder, I know a lot of people complained in the Georgia game, I, I, or at least a lot of people on Twitter complained in the Georgia game when, when Florida went hurry up, and trash through the pick six. But one of the things you haven't seen them do a lot this year is really sort of run their two-minute drill. And I do wonder whether it would make some sense, based on what we've seen at the begin- at the end of the first half, for them to, when they feel like they're out of rhythm, when they feel like they're struggling to run the ball, when they feel like they just can't get anything going, 
to start running their two minute drill, mm-hmm. right? And just run that more than they do their traditional offense, speed things up just a little bit, get the defense on skates a little bit. You've we've got seen, a quarterback we've seen it work against the Florida movement. defense. <laughs> we've seen it work against the Florida defense. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly true. And they did it a little bit against, against Tennessee. The, the ball that they threw out to Grimes on the little screen pass, Tennessee's defense wasn't set. So that was an easy touchdown. Um, but, but beyond catching the defense, it's just getting that rhythm, right? Yeah. And they seem to, have the ability to when they don't substitute and when they get the defense sort of having to play vanilla because and and this actually might be the real reason right so if if you're running hurry up the defense doesn't have the ability to call some complex thing where they're going to play safeties in one configuration and then adjust after the snap you can't do that right right? you're just trying to figure out where do you line up and you're trying to figure out what defense are we going to play you know what's the blitz call for this particular play and if it's going fast a lot of times you play very vanilla defenses it turns out florida's got a quarterback who does a pretty good job when the defense has to play vanilla so that's what I would do if I was sputtering or if I wanted to get something a spark, you know, why wait until you got two minutes left in the second quarter, mm-hmm. use what you've learned with two minutes left in the second quarter, the entire season long. And, you know, if your team sputtered a little bit early on, let's get into a hurry up and sort of go down the field. The other thing is that will open up the running game because if you're running their hurry up, get the defensive line gets tired real quick, chasing yeah. down the field after a couple of first downs. Um, you know, the danger is, is that you go hurry up and the defense comes back right back on the field. But I think the benefit probably outweighs the the downside for that. And, and that would be something that I think we might look for against Alabama is maybe they go a little bit more up tempo early on, try to catch the tide in simpler defenses and, and give Trask easy reads. Yeah, I can uh, I can see that because look, I, I think Alabama's will score anyway. So <laughs> I think I think uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, I, I think you take your chances and and you know try try and win in, in, in a shootout fashion. But we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time to kind of look at that game next week. Uh, we'll, we'll hit that game in earnest. Florida LSU uh, a little bit. You know, th- this week I'll have the uh, preview um, with Blake Rafino. Uh, I was going to get him on for the uh, LSU game when, you know, it was supposed to be like a month ago. <laughs> we recorded a preview and everything, but I didn't get to put it out. Uh, so you, you should go back and see if there's anything really funny in there and like cut it in. Like, no, hey, I should. You said this a month ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Finley was playing really well. What do you think about that these days? Uh, <laughs> but that was the rumor. That was the week of the rumor where, uh, oh, God, it was the guy that took over. Who was the starting quarterback? Uh, Miles Brennan. Uh, that was the the week of the rumor that he had maybe was hurt that week, uh, mm. and that would have been his first game that he had, was going to miss. So we uh, we see where that offense is now. Well, so. it is interesting, you know. Back in uh, one of the things I heard this week heading into the Tennessee game, and and it, it did feel a little bit like it was the 2001 game that was moved because of weird circumstances and moved back towards the end of the year. Um, but I actually think this LSU game kind of feels more like that, where it was something early in the year got canceled, got moved to the back. Even you know, we we got riled up for it, and then the game got and then the game got canceled there early in the week. Gets moved to the end, and you got national championship aspirations on the line here, and and. Uh, you know, it's a home game and it's going to be eerie because there won't be as many people there in the swamp, even though it's a night game. But at the same time, this is where I'm actually having those shades of 2001, not necessarily the Tennessee game last week. Now, 
<laughs> that Tennessee team was pretty decent. <laughs> came into the swamp. This LSU team, not so much. So I do expect this to be a coronation. Certainly hope that the Gator guys who are seniors um, enjoy their senior day and that they could do something special for them because I know this whole season has been kind of weird. So to be able to uh, to honor those guys, I, I hope they are able to honor it because certainly, um, you know, those guys, the guys who've been here for four years, came in in 2017, lived through that mess, and then contributed to 18, 19, and 20 in the turnaround of the program. And guys like Trask, who came in in 2016, you know, have lived through the whole thing where they went to the SEC title game in in 16, but then, you know, the credit card scandal and all that stuff in 17. So hopefully the seniors get honored. Hopefully the fans give them their due because they certainly do deserve it. And, uh, And hopefully they can chuck the ball around a little bit. It'll, it'll be like an old ball coach game with, uh, with LSU because they can't stop anything through the air. Hopefully it will look like that 2001 Florida LSU game then because Rex Grossman threw all over LSU <laughs> uh, in that 2001 season. Will, man, I got to uh, quickly here. You ready for uh, next week? Previewing an SEC championship, and I completely – it completely, caught, you know, just left my mind. I guess you know because of twenty twenty, and we you know we're following this great Gator team. Early signing days next Wednesday as well, so we got an SEC championship game to preview, and early signing day. So next week we'll be uh, we'll be we'll, we'll be busy next week uh, do, yeah, doing, doing everything. I, I'm excited for it. Florida's actually Florida's recruiting class. I think is ranked seventh right now. We haven't talked about it in months because the team's winning and yeah. you know, it's not looking toward, you know, there is no wait till next year. Like right. recruiting is always about hope and we're sitting here on December 7th and Florida still has an awful lot of hope for 2020. So there's not really a whole lot of reason to talk about hope for 2021. Yeah. So we'll let Georgia and, you know, we'll let, we'll let Georgia talk about their recruiting titles when they, uh, when, when the early signing day comes and laugh at them next year when we beat them again. And, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we'll let uh, UCF talk about the Boca Raton Bowl because uh, they, they, they got they got that going on in there. The best team in Florida playing in Boca Raton for the, for the holidays. Yeah, but. yeah. And Tennessee's class that was crowned champions back in May, all falling apart now before a week before early signing day. Whatever in the world is going on up in Tallahassee because that is just like that, – that's like somebody – I don't know. They took like a blowtorch to a dumpster. Or something. Very, uh, very on Twitter right before uh, we hopped on for this episode said he goes, I didn't think it was possible for uh, uh, recruiting Norvell to be worse than McIlwain. I said, you're right. I said, problem is it's even, it's not even close <laughs> how bad that recruiting is compared to what McIlwain was doing in Florida. But again, no excuses, right? You got you got your main rival, at least in state, who's who's struggling. You've got um, a Heisman level quarterback. You got all those things working for you, and you hope that that really does filter into being able to close on signing day, get some flips, and and potentially. Now, the only problem is they've got twenty six signees right or twenty six commits right now. So uh, you know you probably will have to process out a couple of guys if you get higher level guys committing, but. Um, Hey, you know, that that's elite programs have to do that. And if you've got to break your promises to bring in somebody who's a high level guy, you know, you're going to have to do it. So we'll see. I mean, I think Florida, Florida's probably in a position where two or three teams will pass them if they, uh, if they, uh, you know, if, if they close to get to where they're, if those teams close to get to where they're at 25 or 26 recruits, you know, Texas A&M is in that, is in that uh, frame. I think Notre Dame might be there too. Um, so there are a few teams that are going to have that opportunity, but, but, you know, like you said, Florida state, 
struggling. Texas is struggling from a recruiting perspective because nobody really knows whether Tom Herman's going to be there. Georgia's right where they normally would be. They're right up there at the top, same with Alabama. So it's not getting any easier. And and next year's going to have to be even better for Florida. They're going to have to build on what they've done this year. But like I said, you don't really pay attention to recruiting all that much when your team is relevant and, and giving you hope for the current season. And that's why Dan Mullen was brought here, right? He was brought yep. here to, to, to make Florida relevant deep into December. He's done that. And uh, we'll see if he can get the job done the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I've always, I've always said, you know, when I started this podcast and, and kind of the Twitter account, the, the football season itself was my wheelhouse, and I really do put recruiting on the back burner uh, during the season. And even more so this season, as you said, because Florida's been winning, you're looking forward to everything, and then next week, it just happens to coincide with the SEC championship game. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a signing day ep- episode. I'll, I'll put something out there, but it won't be, I'll go ahead and promise you, it won't be like, in as in depth as it has been in past years, because we're not solely focusing on recruiting for, for for a day or for a week, we actually have an SEC championship game to preview and talk about. Yeah, well, it is interesting that, um, that recruiting does so many numbers. Like the reason that there's a uh, the reason that there are websites built solely around recruiting, and I can see this on my website. All I have to do is put recruiting in the title yes. of the article, and I get three times as many readers. And so, <laughs> you know, you guys are just as excited as anybody when it comes to recruiting, and we see that yep. with the numbers, and certainly um, it makes a difference, but um, I suspect that this week that'll be a little bit different. I suspect that this week the people will be interested in checking in on the recruiting, but they're going to be a lot more interested in checking in on how Kyle Trask is going to exploit Alabama's defense and and all those sorts of things, and and I'm excited for it because that is the fun part, right? I mean, this is the thing that I think coming out of the Tennessee game, um, there was a lot of talk and, and, and quite a bit of negativity on, on some of the social media sites regarding, you know, well, it's going to have to be better to beat Bama. But I'm like, who cares? It's, it's like, this is why we care about recruiting. We care about recruiting so that you can get to where you're eight and one in a COVID rattle ravaged season to play for the SEC and, and to play for the playoff. And Florida has put themselves in that position. So, you know, who cares whether you were ranked fifth or seventh or ninth overall, you've gotten to where you need to get to and, and we'll see whether they can pull it off again. There's a reason why Alabama is favored. There's a reason why Alabama is the people, why everybody looks and says, you know, that's the target. And hopefully we're going to be able to show that we can, we can play with them. But, but that's the exciting part is you get to show that on the field as opposed to, you know, showing it in, in the recruiting room exclusively. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll avoid fake punts on 4th and 11. <laughs> uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. So <laughs> There we go. There we go. Will Miles at Read and Reaction. Will, what you got, uh, I'm sure, LSU preview coming up uh, this week? Yeah, there will be an LSU preview, and then I'll be getting a lot of t- uh, getting a lot of questions about the Heisman race. And I was going to talk about that. Ton- I was gonna, so yeah, I was going to talk it. about that tonight, but we completely ran out of time. <laughs> yeah, so, well, so I'm going to write about that this week, so we we could talk about it during the recruiting episode or something next week and, and bring it up. But you know, it's going to come down to the SEC title game, which is interesting, but just because of narratives and all that sort of stuff. But um, who actually deserves it? And that's one of the things that I think is an interesting thing to look at. Um, Trask has put up an awful lot of stats that are really really impressive. But Mac Jones has as well. And, uh, you know, so when you're comparing the two, who's better, who would who would be better if you put them on the other team, those sorts of things, the types of questions I'm hopefully going to going to address. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about that next week. 
kind of that can be, of course, part of the preview <laughs> for Florida Alabama is uh, a lot of talk about that Heisman Trophy race. And look to me, th- these are the two guys. I called it a month ago, is you know when we did the the, the, the last panel. Uh, every you know that it was going to come down to this, and uh, I, you could see it a month ago, and it's just only ramped up since then. So, yeah, well, here's the reality: Rex Grossman had an opportunity to win the Heisman Trophy. He loses that game to Tennessee. Right, exactly. They don't- they don't put up statues and they don't give up Heisman trophies for winning the Orange Bowl and, you know, a fourth place finish in the AP poll. At Florida, the Gator standard is Heisman trophies, national championships. Steve Spurrier's got the Heisman. Danny Werfel's got both. Tim Tebow's got both. And if Kyle Trask is going to win the Heisman trophy, he's at least going to have a playoff berth to his name. And, uh, <laughs> man, I can't wait. Because, like, previewing – like, you think previewing the SEC championship game is going to be fun. Oh, man. <laughs> wait till we have playoff games where we get to make fun of these other conferences that, like, finked out. And, <laughs> you know, I, I really want Florida to play Ohio State just so we can make fun of Ohio State having only played six games. <laughs> I will take it right now. We'll take it. That means they're there. That means they're there, Will. Absolutely. All right, Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.